Hey everyone, welcome back to the Asod Blocks podcast. This is the transformational and foundational Torah podcast channel. And everything we do here is basically trying to figure out uh, what the Torah is, how it works, kind of getting to a real place with it and sort of seeing how it exists and operates in the real world and in our own personal real world. And uh, really, that's the whole purpose and ethos of this channel. So this particular episode is uh, part of the Nefesh Chaim series. We're learning the book Nefesh Chaim. And this is really, uh, it's a pretty long book. It's got about 80 chapters. And we are trying to kind of cover the whole thing, get through all of it, and sort of put together the different pieces that he lays out in the book. And so we are up to episode number five. This is chapter five also. And until now, the way I've done it is I've tried to just make it that every episode lines up with an actual chapter. So we did four chapters and four episodes. But starting from now, uh, since the last episode, episode four was pretty long. So we're going to start cutting it down a little bit and try to do about a half hour per episode, even though it means that we're going to end up uh, sort of doing only part of a chapter in each episode. The reason is because a lot of the feedback I've been getting, I think uh, people are enjoying this, but it's also very dense. There's a lot of uh, explaining that needs to be done, and if we start trying to explain everything in one chapter, especially the next few chapters are very lengthy, then it'll end up being two or three hours per chapter per episode, and that's just going to be way, way too long. So... That's pretty much the background uh, housekeeping situation for what we are, you know, doing over here. And so today we're doing chapter five, just sort of starting it out, and uh, we're building off of the previous section, which is kind of just uh, laying out the concept of Elohim and then sort of um, what that means in terms of um, midat Elohim and what it means in terms of things like uh, we had the base of Mikdash examples, uh, sort of explaining um, the the unification of the self and of the body with the base of Mikdash, how really like, you know, just conceptually, like we, we basically are like a base of Mikdash. We're sort of carrying, um, we're supposed to sort of carry Hashem and the concept of the Merkava is the same thing as that. It's the thing that, that carries Hashem in the world to think about it as like, well, you know, the analogy we're basically using the whole time is that you yourself, you know, you're the self looking out through your eyes and then your body is kind of like this thing which uh, you use to share yourself into the physical world. So we can think of your body as if it's carrying you. And what that sort of means is that your body is uh, like a chariot. That's really what the word Merkava means. And the base of Mikdash is the same idea as that. It's a building which sort of allows for Hashem's presence to shine through into the world. And you can think of it almost as your house is also kind of like, you know, your carrying device. It carries you. It's Your house kind of allows your body to function properly. It's a shield against the elements of the world. And so you essentially have, um, you know, that sort of, that's that this tool that, that literally helps you to manifest yourself out through your actual biological body. And then the shelter of your house is almost like this thing which extends the, the stability of your body by protecting it. And that's what the base of Mikdash sort of is for Hashem. It's, it, it represents Hashem's sort of body in the world in a certain way. And uh, we're going to have to talk a lot more about what that is. But that was the last chapter. So that's laying the groundwork for what we're going to talk about today in this particular episode. And so if you look at the beginning of Parakeh of chapter 5, so let's just read a little bit and then we'll see what we have to sort of lay out and, and express here and explain. That which Hashem had this idea, like what he wanted to do was uh, to, to, means to sort of um, compile or to, you know, put together basically to build um, the Adam Atachton. Adam Atachton means people. 
Um, and the Adam, Tachton means like the down below, like the there's Adam and Adam, you know, Adam that is down below, so that sort of represents us, because if you recall, so the idea of being above and below in the writings of, of the Gemara and Chazal and the Zohar and all these different older writings from 2,000 years ago, we call the primary sources of the Torah Shabal Peh, the oral Torah. So um, the, the idea of below and above are an analogy for sort of beyond and within, in the sense that Adam uh, Atachton means a man as he is inside of the world. And then above, you know, Lamala means to be above, means sort of like be beyond the world and the rules of the world. And so you have the ability to sort of be that when you, when you tap into the fact that you are not your body. So what you're sort of doing is you're touching this, this experience of, of beyondness. That's really what all consciousness is kind of about. You have this experience that you're not really in the world. You're sort of, you know, you, you use your body to, to interact with the world, but you are somehow uh, an observer and you can actually sort of pull yourself back into your into your body or, or deeper, you know, uh, uh, be out, put, sort of pull yourself out of the world and, and sort of look at it almost as an outsider. And, you know, we're going to talk more about how to do that. That's a very significant process that you can engage in to create what we call tefillah, um, commonly translated relatively poorly as prayer. So the point is, what he's bringing up now is uh, this idea that Hashem had to actually combine uh, the the lower man, in other words, us, uh, um, to make it that then you are kind of like able she's not that like you make it that the the layers of reality the olamos uh, the layers of reality uh, which are above us that they will sort of fluctuate and operate according to his will that's really what we were speaking about in the last few chapters that you are sort of like this miniature hub uh, of of volition of of energy of of consciousness that impacts and influences the totality of being. Uh, just like Hashem does. So the you know the framework we had was that Hashem is sort of like an energy source. He's like the power plant, and then he has all these wires that run out from that plate, that energy source, and they run out all in, into every direction to every entity and element and aspect and you know thing in the universe. And those pa- those those wires power uh, uh, the, pa- the you know they bring power from the source to those things. So then we have within the system of those wires is also these mini hubs. Uh, that are sort of strewn all around, and each one of those mini hubs is is a consciousness hub. And if you think about the power source as being sort of like the the source consciousness, and each of us is like a consciousness fragment that is sort of like embedded inside of the network. And so you actually, just like the source consciousness has the ability to vibrate and, and oscillate and sort of change the nature of the wires and energy coming off of it that's going into the wires, you have exactly the same ability to do that. And we're going to have to talk a lot more about what that looks like in the real world. Right now, we're trying to just learn the system as the Nefesh Chaim is portraying it. But the point is that just like you have that, just, just like Hashem sort of has that power to influence and impact the whole universe through those wires, so you also uh, are designed the same way. And so you have also similar impacts. So the question here he's asking is, well, why, you know, sort of like, how does that work? Or like, you know, what, what's the structure of that? And, and also sort of why? Why is it like that? So he writes, It's known in the Zohar. The Zohar is a relatively well-known work uh, that is um, attributed to Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, one of the Tanaim uh, teachers uh, and masters of Torah from 2,000 years ago, a student of Rabbi Akiva. And uh, the Zohar writings are sort of like a particular brand 
of the Medrash and the Agaratas that we have in the Gemara. There's a little bit of a debate nowadays. People like to have this conversation a lot, so I'll just put this out there, uh, which is that people like to debate whether the Zohar was actually written 2,000 years ago by Rabbi Shem Bar Yochai, or was it a more recent work from the last few hundred years? And so I always tell people the same thing in that debate. It is 100% irrelevant whether it was written a few hundred years ago or 2,000 years ago, because the Zohar is not the Kabbalah. It is not the deepest teachings of the Torah. In other words, the Zohar is a book, and it has teachings that are the deepest teachings of the Torah in it, but those teachings are found in exactly the same types of styles and language and, and structures in multiple other, many other books and other places that are 2,000 plus years old. The Talmud contains all the same principles and concepts that are in the Zohar. Uh, the Medrash, and there are literally tens of different kinds of Midrashim out there that contain all the same ideas. There are other, even more primary works like the Sefer Yetzirah and the Sefer Abahir and uh, the Sefer Echalos. So these are all very old 2,000 plus years old works that contain all the same concepts that are in the Zohar and many more. So the question of when the Zohar was written is 100% immaterial to the discussion. Generally, generally we assume that it was written uh, 2,000 years ago based on what I just said. Once you start reading the Zohar and you see what's actually in it, you're like, oh, well, this was, uh, this is this is the same concepts and same writing style and same ideas as what we have in so many other writings from 2,000 years ago. So why would I ever assume that it was written uh, more recently given that? Um, so, and it's also, again, like I said, kind of immaterial. So the point here that he's saying is, also written in the writings of the Arizal. The Arizal is one of the more recent, in the last few hundred years ago, uh, the, kind of like the father compiler of all the previously written Kabbalah writings. So he took all of them and sort of organized them. He, his student, really, Reb Chaim Vital, took most of those things and really put them together in terms of the books. Um, that's the Ari. So we'll be referencing him from time to time as well, so he's a good character to notice. But in the Zohar and in the writings of the Arizal, there's an organization of Hishtalshelos. Hishtalshelos means like, like a chain almost, like there's, a, there's essentially like, a, like a, a download system. Or you could think of, you know, like when we, when we, when we spoke about the, the idea of these wires that are sort of feeding out of the, out of the power source, so those wires are, you know, the further away you go from the power source, so the less strongly the power in the wires is felt, let's, let's say. Let, let's imagine it works that way. You have a power source, and you have wires that come out, and if you're right next to the power source in the wire, so maybe it's a stronger encounter with the power from the power source, but if you're, let's say, hundreds of miles away at the other end of the wire, so at that point, maybe the, maybe the sense of, of the power source would be drastically reduced. And Ishtalshil sort of means like the unwinding or the or the, um, like the extending. So you sort of have like um, the source, and then you have this series of extensions from the source that slowly over time dilute it, and it becomes more and more and more distant from the source as you travel down the, the ropes and you know the, the wires that we're talking about here. So if we use the analogy of ropes, that's also a decent analogy, where it's, you think of, of like, you know, all, if you're all the way at the top, you're near the, let's say if we had ropes that fed down from the sun, so if you're right next to the sun, you obviously feel the sun in a much more intense way, and the further your mishtal shell, the further you sort of um, lower yourself and extend yourself away from the sun, so then the more muted its presence becomes. So there's essentially what, we're, what the Arizal and the Zohar and other sources talk about is that there is a process of translation of Hashem's conscious being or consciousness into the world that you experience around you as a finite world. 
In other words, whenever you look at things that are around you, so you say, oh, you know what? Hashem created this. Let's say that's what you're saying. You say, Hashem created this. You know, that's like how the more superficial Jewish approach is. Let's just say, well, God created this, and God created that, and, you know, he spoke, and he brought this into being. So that's the superficial way to describe that. But here, the concept of Hishtalshalus, what that means is that there's actually a process through which the things that you were talking about that were created by Hashem, through which, like that process through which they come to exist as you experience them. And the word that is used to describe that, you know, the word here is the word hishtalshalos, but uh, when, you know, we have this statement in Pirkei Avot, that is another very, very deep text about uh, all these concepts, that talks about how Hashem brought all of the world into being through Amira. And Amira, you know, usually translated as, as sayings or statements. And so we tend to teach it usually as God spoke and the world was created. So at the beginning, the first thing that God created is the light. And it says, Vayomer Elohim Yehi Or. Elohim said, let there be light. And boom, there was light. And we're always kind of like, well, of course, when God speaks. So then things happen because God has superpowers. And things listened when God talks because God is very, very persuasive. So even the light listened, and then it's then you know you sort of think about that a little bit carefully. Like, well, what happened? The light was listening to God, and He said, you know, light be and exist. And that's a little strange because the light, uh, first of all, light doesn't have ears. But aside from that problem, um, the light also doesn't exist yet. So how do you say like let there be light if God is just talking and trying to tell things what to do, but they don't exist yet? So then they can't do anything because they don't exist. So somehow His speaking is actually causing the existence to happen but that just sort of implies well that speaking can't really be the kind of speaking that we think of when we speak because that's sort of like a a you know we say something and then we vibrate the sound the the air around us with the sound waves from our voices and then other people hear what we're saying and they can make a decision whether to listen to us or not that's inherent in what we call speaking but with Hashem, none of those factors seem to exist. There's no air. There's no vibrations as a result. There's also no one listening. And there's nothing which exists, definitely not in the beginning. So what does that mean, that Hashem spoke all of existence into being? So the answer to this question is essentially the same thing as the, this idea that the Nefesh is now starting to unpack, which is the concept of Amira. Because the concept of Amira is not... Uh, speech as we tend to think about it. The word amar actually means to differentiate. And you can find that translation for that word very easily in Parshat Kitavo, in, in the fifth book of the Torah, Sefer Dvarim. So towards the end, there's a section there where it talks about how Hashem says that he was ma'amir us to be his am, and we were ma'amir him to be our Elohim. And if I asked you to think about, well, you know, what English word fits well into that uh, Word, that Hebrew word. If I say, I am going to be ma'amir you that you're now going to be my wife. I'm going to be ma'amir you that now you're going to be my best friend. Like, what, is that, what exactly does that mean? You know, to be ma'amir somebody else in such a way that it seems to make them distinct in some way. And so the, the medrash there and Rashi on the spot, uh, one of the commentaries on the Torah, so describes how the word ma'amir means to distinguish, to differentiate to separate out from a mass. In other words, if you have a, a homogeneous mass, of, of, if you, or if you, have a, you have a mass of many, so to pull one out of that mass and differentiate it from the rest of the mass, that is the word ma'amir. So you look at that, you're like, well, why would that be the same root as the word um, amar, which means to say, usually? So then you have to sort of start thinking about the fact that the way the Torah operates is it describes what, what we do 
as an analogy, really, for what Hashem does. In other words, our amirot are not actually what the real meaning of amirah is. Our, our amirot are actually our sayings. When we speak, that is an analogy for Hashem's speaking. So what exactly do we do when we speak? Well, if you think carefully about it, the way that I, I think that the best way to describe it is, if you have this ocean of thoughts inside of your mind, and you're essentially uh, containing all of them within you, and then you want to communicate with somebody, somebody outside yourself, then you have to sort of reach into that ocean and then pull out the thought and then uh, sort of put it into your into your uh, word processor and turn it into words and say those words out loud, which is part of the processing, and shoot those words across the airspace towards the other person who's now going to receive them. So that process of differentiating one idea from an ocean of thought and then putting it out there as a concretized uh, statement that vibrates the air, that's what we call amirah. But for Hashem, so that process of differentiating from him from his ocean of internal thought into the outer world is actually the real Amira, and that's the differentiation process, which essentially turns the, like Hashem's thoughts into actual things. And the word for that is, is Amira, like we said, Hashem created the world with ten ma'amarim, uh, ma'amarot, but the idea here is that that's, what, that that's the same exact concept as the Seder Hishtalshalus that the Nefesh is talking about here. So he says, this Seder Hishtalshalus, what he means is, the translation process, the process through which Hashem differentiates himself and translates the inner ocean that he is that, that is within him into the actual concretized external realities that you see. So whether it's the atoms or the macro level or the physical universe or the laws of the universe or the concept of the universe, those are all translated and differentiated into existence from the undifferentiated ocean of thought and consciousness that we call Hashem. So the process of that translation and it goes through, and, the, and you know, I, I made it sound like it's really just, it goes from being undifferentiated to differentiated, but there's actually a layering, a layered process of differentiation, and that's what the word hishtashlos refers to here. So here we have seder hishtashlos, the order, the, the structure of that translation and differentiation, and also the ways that each of those stages of translation are linked to each other. So the word olamos essentially means the layerings, the layers of the different, you know, the different parts of the process of translating um, Hashem's undifferentiated self into differentiated existence that we experience. So that's what Olamos means. It means those layers of reality. You go, so you, if you imagine if there were, let's say, I don't know, a hundred layers. So the first layer would be the thought now becomes a little bit more clear. And then the second layer is the thought becomes a little bit more distinct in a little li- different way. And then the thought becomes even more distinguished. And you know, you go through a hundred layers of differentiation like that till eventually the thought manifests as an actual hydrogen atom or an actual zebra or whatever. So that's his kashros haolamos, that each of those layers are sort of like linked together in a conceptual way. One sort of leads to the next one. And he goes on to say, Shekol olam hu misnaheg, each of those layers sort of operates besidur matzavo in the order of its situation, v'chol prate inyanav, in the details of its, of its, you know, how it works, According to the to the driving factors of the layer that is above it, so above here means closer to the undifferentiated state. So again, if you want to imagine a hundred layers, and at the very top you have pure undifferentiated consciousness and thought of Hashem, and at the very bottom you have that conscious differentiated that that consciousness is differentiated into an actual zebra. So at the top you have complete ocean. and the bottom, you have, look, what came out of this? It sort of like was extruded from here. And then you suddenly have this actual zebra that emerged 
from the undifferentiated ocean of thought and consciousness that is at the top of the situation of the system and so but each of those layers in with, with between the top and the bottom so they're almost like chain linked to each other and a layer that is higher so let's say layer number if we say the top layer is layer number number um let's see let's say, let's say the top layer is, is layer number one that's gonna be confusing top layer is layer 100 and the bottom layer is layer number one so the, at layer number one you have a zebra and at layer number 100 you have an ocean so let's say you have layer number 59 and right below that layer number 58 going down towards the zebra so layer number 59 is essentially sort of like um the 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 it leads in to layer number 58 and layer number 58 is sort of like an expression of whatever layer layer 59 sort of was able to express and layer 59 expresses layer 60 and layer 60 expresses layer 61 and if you think about that as an analogy for that you could think of you know just to just to sort of clarify that further if you think about your own self you're sort of operating through your body so your consciousness is sort of the animating force of the lower layer which is the body itself so your you the self are the higher layer of your being and your body is a lower layer so similar to that each one of the layers in the chain of creation from hashem down to being is essentially a a, a it animates the layer underneath it so ultimately what that kind of means is that layer number 100 and beyond which is the ocean of consciousness of hashem's thought itself is actually animating layer number 99 which is animating layer number 98 and animating 97 and you go continuously down until it really kind of comes out that layer number 100 and even the consciousness that is above layer 100 is really animating layer number one ultimately expressing that itself as animating an actual zebra so that's what we're saying here these hundred layers are sort of each one is translating the layer before it into itself and then into the next layer and sort of slowly stepping down and, and differentiating and transforming from the ocean down to the actual thing which would be the zebra in this case so let's just read a little more and see that sort of play out so um again so every layer sort of operates in this way according to its structure and the details of how it works according to the driving uh, animated force from the layer that is above it that and the layer above sort of operates the layer below like the neshama operates the body because like we just said the neshama is this above thing in other words you're beyond the body and yet you somehow operate the body and and you're animating it and the body manifests you and if the body was just a robot and was not manifesting you, then you'd have this weird, bizarre sense of, look at that body, it's dead, but it looks like it's alive. But, but we have you, the self, manifesting through the body. So then we have the upper layer, uh, which is hidden. You can't really see the neshama. You can't see consciousness. But it animates the body and is reflected through it. And therefore, the body is this you know, animating, animated construct. That's how the, the structure works. Um, higher above the, you know, as you go higher and higher in the layerings, until you get to the top of it, which is Hashem Himself. He is the life force animating all of the previous layers and and the being at the bottom of the layerings. So that concept of Hishtalshlus is a root concept in the Torah, and it is describing a scientific concept essentially. How do you translate? Uh, if if we assume that, and by the way, some physicists assume this today. If we assume that the physical universe is actually somehow a reflection or an echo or a manifestation of consciousness, how do we translate consciousness 
into a physical universe. So here, what we what we're sort of starting to do is not tell you how it works. We're, we're telling you, or we're telling you essentially what it is, the structure of what it is. So we're not telling you why. We're not telling you exactly. You know, we didn't reveal the secrets yet of how it does that. But we're telling you what it is. It is it is exactly that. It is consciousness that is being translated and differentiated down into actual physical manifestations. Okay, that's the core principle here. And then he's going to give us some sources. Again, Zohar. So look at the Zohar. And we're going to skip again to the brackets where it's Hebrew. V'chol olam v'chule elyon v'tachton. Every layer of reality, both higher and lower. Me'reshis sod nekuda ha'elyona. From the beginning, from the root, um, the highest point, meaning, in other words, getting as close as possible to Hashem. Ad so shall kol hadragos kulam. Until you get to the bottom of all the stages, getting down to the most, to the thickest, most manifest, most physical stage. They are each a you know clothing for the for the previous one. Uh, and this one for the previous one before that. and each one within the other the, the one below it. and that one uh, and that one within the next one. In other words, just like your Nishama is within your goof, so that's how it seems at least, you sort of think of it that way conceptually, that your consciousness is inside of your body and animating it. So we're saying here that every layer of differentiation it works the same way. That the, uh, first of all, one is the the one that is above, and the one that is below, and then the one that is below is above the one that is below that one, and the one that is that one that is below is above the one that's below itself, and you know each one that each one that is below the one above it is above the one below it. So just say that again. Each one that is below the one above it is above the one below it, and there's a chain, and and that's that's one analogy, and that analogy is what we would call the above below analogy and sort of like the same idea as saying before that we talk about how you know there's god in the heavens or the neshama is above us and these above below analogies are one way of talking about the idea of beyond reality versus being inside the physical universe and then there's an alternate example that the zohar gives here where it says and that really refers to the idea that um that each of these layers is within the lower layer, the lo- layer below it, and animating it. And then the lower layer is within the next layer below it and animating that, just like the neshama is within the body and is animating the body. And so that analogy is a within type of analogy. So the reason why those two analogies are very important is because one analogy is about sort of, if you want to sort of get closer to Hashem, then we sort of think about it in terms of climbing up towards Hashem because Hashem is above in that first analogy. Whereas the second analogy is if you want to think about getting closer to Hashem, who is the source of your being, the source of all being, then you have to think about climbing deeper within and digging through the layers that are inside and getting, it's almost like an onion. you got to get closer and closer to the, to the core of the onion, getting through layer by layer. That's the analogy of Zeb Toch Zeb, Zeb Toch Zeb. So that's what that Zohar is referencing. So let's just see the next source that he brings. of Idra, another Zohar, Zohar-type source. V'kol ha'oros achuzim or zeb or zeh. All the oros. Oros here means essentially is like another term for, um, it's, you could think of it as step-down consciousness fragments. In other words, or, or the idea of light in the, in the Zohar and all the, all the different Midrashim always refers to consciousness. And if you have oros, so you have these kind of uh, uh, separated or differentiated or refracted lights that are sort of broken into, into, into separate lights, so that's what we mean here. We say sort of fragmented aspects of consciousness. The kol ha'oros, which is essentially what what happens during this layering process, that Hashem's uh, self gets fragmented into uh, more condensed 
smaller lights instead of being an ocean of of or of consciousness it becomes a, it becomes fragmented lights each of the lights that are the refracted versions of Hashem's being are attached one to the next uh, and this one into the next one and they also light each other up because they, they again the same idea they're animating each other the higher ones animate the lower ones um, the, the or that's on the outside that's visible uh, is called the clothing of the king and the or that's internal is is the actual you know it's supposed to be like the the, the in, inside the clothing of the king so you can think about that as there's again or pnimi and or chitzoni so the internal one is the one that is closer to Hashem's source and then it has an outer layer which is the or chitzoni the external light and then that or chitzoni has another layer around it and that or chitzoni is the or pnimi for the next layer. So you can think of it just as if you're wearing a hundred coats and every coat, you know, uh, the outermost coat is the clothing for the next to outermost coat. And that next to outermost coat is the inside for the outermost coat. And so you have this, you know, but that, but that second to outermost coat is also the outside for the one within that one. And that's the concept here that we're describing the layers and layers and layers of reality that essentially um, describe the differentiation process of Hashem sort of turning himself into the physical world that you experience. Okay, let's just read a little bit more. Um, so the details of this are, are written out in the book Eitz Chaim, which is uh, one of the Arizal's books, and he sort of gives you the coordinates for that. Also, these are all different parts of it, of the different books. Because the, and the idea is that the external, the outside of every... Um, facet and layer of reality. Partsuf really means face, but we're going to leave that concept alone for right now. Uh, it sort of represents the idea that there are different faces of Hashem's consciousness that manifest into the world. But for now, just think of it as the outside of the layers and facets of the of the rea- of reality. Um, so it essentially is becomes dressed up and covered by the layer and facet of reality that is underneath it. And then that that first one, that first uh, layer, becomes the internal layer for the layer underneath it. So you think of it again as you have a layer, which essentially gets dressed up in another layer, and that other that second layer is the is the um, coat or is the outerwear for that first layer, which means that the first layer is the inner being, the inner it is the animating force for that outerwear, and that outerwear becomes the animating force for the next outerwear, as we just said. Um, and then he's going to say a little bit more here. I'll just do one more line, and that will be the end for this episode. And we can divide up these layers into four different categories. As is well known, he says, this is known in a lot of different writings. Ofanim is a certain kind of extension of Hashem's consciousness that usually is called a malach, an angel. Vachayos is another kind of malach or angel that is an extension of Hashem's consciousness. The kiseik vodo has a certain role. The literal meaning is that the chair of his presence. Vatzilus uh, kocho and atzilus means right next, the right next to-ness of Hashem. So here the nefshachayim divides up the layers into four different ones. And so ofanim and chayos, we usually talk about those as if they're two different kinds of angels, um, literally fragments of Hashem's consciousness that need to be explained in their own right. And then this chair, 
And then the next Dunas of Hashem. So we're going to have to see in the, starting, in the next episode, we'll start talking about exactly what these four categorizations are of this multi-layered system. Because you'll see there's actually many, many layers, but we can decide to sort of break those layers apart and then categorize them into these four uh, subcategories, even though that each one of, the, of these subcategories actually has many layers within itself as well. So I hope you enjoyed that. It was pretty clear. Uh, definitely, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out and leave comments and um, and check out the YouTube channel also. You can see some other content that we have going on over there. And looking forward to seeing you in the next episode.